There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. It's Friday night, Raider Nation. That means it's time for Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello, Southern California. Hello, the West Coast from Baja to the Canadian Rockies. We appreciate you being with us for Southern California's only All Raiders talk show. I am Scott Gilbranson. Thanks for being with me again. My co-host, Mo Moten, still on leave. He'll be back soon. No, he was not fired. No, he didn't quit. No, I'm not a terrible person that I ran him off. No, that's not how it goes. Mo will be back. He is busy with his other work, but we certainly appreciate uh, you guys asking about him. It was great to hear from you on YouTube, to hear from you uh, on Twitter about Mo. It's all good. He watches, he listens to the show. So if you want to say hello, say yo, and he will hear you. We're back talking Raiders football. We had a best of show last week, and and thank you all for the feedback on that one too. That was a conversation last week with Todd Marinovich from a couple years ago. I'm still in contact with Todd. Todd's doing well, still doing his art, uh, and more importantly, in recovery. So we certainly appreciate that. Got a lot of, just again, great feedback on last week's show in that conversation with Todd. Raider Nation really likes to catch up with people. Uh, of course, there were some people who couldn't help themselves and had to make fun of Todd's past troubles and talk about how they didn't care about him because he was an addict at one time. Uh, all that stuff, which is just terrible. Uh, that is not the majority of Raider Nation. But again, thank you guys all for the comments. On tonight's show, we got a lot lined up. In the first segment, we're going to talk all about football. We're going to talk all about the Raiders, the latest news, some signings uh, for the Raiders since we were on the air last as well as some more news on the car extension, or is there? We'll talk about that a little bit. We'll also talk about why, as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, the board, the chalkboard knows all. The chalkboard behind me, the Leatherwood effect. I'm going to tell you in all of Raider Nation why the 2022 season doesn't hinge on Derek Carr. He'll be fine. It doesn't hinge on Devontae Adams. He's going to be stellar. Or Josh Jacobs, I predict he'll stay he'll stay healthy this year. Or on that defensive front with Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, they're going to be lights out. There's no question in my mind. No, this season is going to come down to what I call the Alex Leatherwood effect. So we're going to talk about that in this first segment. After the break, I'm going to be joined by my good friend Alan Snell of Las Vegas Sports Biz or LVSportsViz.com biz.com. Let me say that right. Alan's going to come on because remember all those years when we talked about the Raiders being poor and the Raiders and Mark Davis being the popper and, and even Raiders fans making fun of Mark Davis and this franchise for their lack of cash flow, their lack of value. Well, guess what, folks? 
That has changed since the new stadium, since Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. That has also changed because of the move to Nevada. Alan Snell, who knows sports business in Las Vegas like no one else, him and I got to know each other during that whole Raiders process and all the meetings to approve the funding and to get the stadium built. He's going to be with us tonight. He's going to talk about the latest Forbes report and what it means for the Raiders and what the Raiders are doing in Las Vegas. Allegiant Stadium, it's not just for football, as you guys know, whether you're seeing Guns N' Roses there, whether you're seeing uh, Elton John there or Billy Joel or Metallica, as many of you did. You understand that the value of the Raiders franchise includes that stadium in the entertainment capital of the world of Las Vegas. So we're going to talk to Alan about that and get his sense for where things are, where things are going to go, and what that might mean for the Las Vegas Raiders. But let's start now and talk a little bit about Raiders news this past week since we were with you live last. That, of course, the Raiders have a new quarterback. No, 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 no not to replace Derek Carr, to back Derek Carr up. Of course, Marcus Mariota is now an Atlanta Falcon. Looks like he's going to start down there. Good for him. He got that next opportunity to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. It looks like the Falcons uh, are that stop for him. So the Raiders were in need of a legitimate, and I say legitimate, backup quarterback, somebody who can come in and spell Derek Carr, uh, whether it's for a play or two, whether it's for an injury, for a game or two, whatever it may be. So they went out this week and they signed former Browns quarterback and, of course, 49ers quarterback Nick Mullins, a very solid backup. You can see some of his highlights here on the screen if you're watching us on our YouTube. Oh, by the way, we are simulcast on YouTube and Facebook as well. So if you want to watch us there, you can. If you're not listening on the Mightier 1090 ESPN radio, you can watch us. But you can see Mullins here. A good signing for the Raiders. I think this is the kind of thing you didn't want to spend a lot of money on a backup like they did with Mariota. Now that they're in all of their all in, I should say, on Derek Carr, which it appears they will. And we'll get to that extension in just a minute here. Nick Mullins comes in. Of course, the Raiders faced him last year against the Browns. So you got to see him play a little bit. But this is a guy who comes in at the right price, has the right experience, can can uh, be the understudy to Derek Carr. No shades of any controversy there whatsoever. He is not the type of quarterback you're going to develop into a starting winning quarterback in the NFL. Derek Carr is that guy. Derek Carr will be here for at least three years in my view. Uh, and so Nick Mullins coming in, I think a great move. The Raiders continue to build this roster in the image that Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, who we'll hear from in just a little while, uh, what they want it to be. And so they bring in Nick Mullins, uh, and, and he is now Derek Carr's backup. Also, they re-signed defensive tackle Jonathan Hankins. I think another good signing here. Of course, Jonathan Hankins, not an all-pro, not a pro bowler, but Jonathan Hankins has done a great job for this team. He comes back to the silver and black the 6'4", 340-pound interior defensive lineman, 14 games last year, 38 tackles, a solid signing, good for that locker room. They still need help in the middle. Let's not let's not fool ourselves. They do need help up front, and I think they'll get it in the draft, uh, and there's lots of stages of free agency left. And so I think we need to look at that and say, hey, okay, this is pretty good. Uh, they have another guy, a guy who's been in the fold that they've been able to develop come back to the Raiders, uh, even though the system has changed under Patrick Graham. I like Jonathan Hankins. I think it was a good signing. Now, on the Derek Carr extension, no news, okay? And I don't think anybody should be worried about that. We have a long time before camp starts, before Derek Carr needs to be in camp, and they want to give him the deal 
that not only is good for the team, but good for Derek. So to me, if anybody's out there worried about it or reading more into why it hasn't happened yet, I think you're overplaying that. I think you have to just sit back and watch this happen. My guess is it happens in the middle of summer, like it did with his last extension, uh, and and the Raiders will get this done. But they're in no hurry. They're working on other parts of this team, as you saw. And I think that as we start to get towards uh, off-season workouts, then we get into the dead period, and then we get into the draft. Uh, draft first, of course, coming up later this month there in Las Vegas. I think you'll see this happen, and it won't be any big deal uh, as well. But what I want to go into now is what I am calling... Are you ready? I am calling the Alex Leatherwood effect. That's right. Alex Leatherwood, to me, is the key to this entire season. Yes, he struggled last year, and we're going to get into those struggles, but I want to lay out the case here for why I think Alex Leatherwood is the key to the 2022 season. Before I do that, I just want to remind you, coming up after the break, Alan Snell, LVSportsBiz.com will be with us. We're going to talk about the Raiders, their value, and how they're climbing up the charts of the most valuable sports franchise. Forget just the NFL, but in general uh, as well. So we're going to talk about that. But first, again, the Alex Leatherwood effect. So let me go through this. I got the trusty note card here because there's so much data to get to. When we talk about Alex Leatherwood, the Raiders under Mike Mayock and John Gruden, they blew up the offensive line after 2020. Of course, we know Rodney Hudson traded, uh, Gabe Jackson traded, Trent Brown, bye-bye. All of those guys were gone. So they were remaking this offensive line. They did that. Alex Leatherwood comes along, 17th overall pick in the NFL draft last year for the Raiders. People blew their gasket. I did too. I thought he was overdrafted, uh, but they felt he was the lockdown right tackle for years to come. So Alex Leatherwood comes out of Alabama, of course, a three-year starter there, um, really looked good in college, and so you saw it, but then you thought, man, this is an early pick. But the Raiders needed that right tackle to replace Trent Brown, who they they clearly did not get what they thought they would out of a Trent Brown, who then went to New England uh, and had some troubles there, even staying on the field, what's new. Uh, but you look at Alex Leatherwood. He started the first four games at right tackle for the Raiders, and we know what a disaster that was. I mean, there's no other way to put it, okay? You had a dozen blown blocks at right tackle for Alex Leatherwood in the first four games of last season. That led the Raiders and former coach Tom uh, Cable and, of course, John Gruden to move, move him inside, move Leatherwood to right guard. Uh, Denzel Good, of course, usually played there, but he blew out his knee in the first game of the year. He was gone for the season. So they had to find somewhere to put your first-round draft pick, and they put him at guard. Did he play better there? Well, we're not sure. Well, we are sure. We'll get to the data here. But Brandon Parker moved to right tackle. I know how Raider Nation feels about Brandon Parker. I still believe in the kid a little bit. I understand why uh, uh, you're negative about him, and he needs to grow. But the Raiders' offensive line last year on the right side, you move Leatherwood inside to guard. And did he do better there? Well, let's talk about the offensive line overall. Because if you remember on this show, on this show, Mo Moten and I talked about in August of last year, as we were getting geared up for this season, this past season, we said we were really concerned with the offensive line because of all those moves, because of the unknowns, because Andre James had replaced Rodney Hudson at center, and he had not played a lot there. Now, Andre James, to his credit, came along as the season went on. Credit where credit is due. But 
the Raiders offensive line, the one thing or two things that we can talk about from last year that were very, very good was continuity. Out of all the teams in the NFL, they were the only unit to play 13 straight games as the same unit. Now, you go back a year before that with Hudson and Gabe Jackson and Trent Brown, that was not the case, okay? They had no continuity. They were worst in the NFL, bottom two, actually. This year, with continuity on the offensive line, they were in the top three. If you look at 13 games, if you count the playoff games, it's 14. Colton Miller, John Simpson, Andre James, aforementioned Leatherwood, and, of course, Brandon Parker. They started, though. That was the third best among continuity uh, as well. But where, the, where did they rank as far as play goes? Well, they were 17th in adjusted line yards. Here, I'm reading my card, uh, which is not good. I mean, you're on the bottom half of the, the league in adjusted line yards. Uh, and, and so the Raiders, I think all of us thought, well, you're going into the offseason now, uh, and as much as everybody wanted Devontae Adams and they got him, we know that the Raiders' offensive line, with those offensive tools that, that Derek Carr now has, and with Derek Carr on the precipice of a big contract extension, we all said, hey, you know what? We need to see you get some offensive linemen. But surprise, surprise, the guys with the rings, as my friend Kevin Wynn on Twitter, shout out to my man Kevin, would say, the guys with the rings had a little bit of a different plan. They looked at the film, and what they've decided is they're not going to upgrade in offensive line. What they're going to do is they're going to need an upgrade from the offensive line, meaning that they're sticking with the guys they have. Now, things could change. There's still periods of time, including the draft, where they could bring guys in, and I think they will for depth no matter what anyway. But what they're now saying is we're not going to upgrade guys. We're not going out and getting a bunch of guys. What we're going to do is we're going to make the guys we have better, right? And, and so that tells me they saw something with the former coaching staff and with Tom Cable that they believe that there's still ceiling left, that these guys haven't hit their ceiling. There's still space for these offensive linemen, including Brandon Parker, who they re-signed, including Alex Leatherwood, who they have not given up on, including Andre James at center, including John Simpson. Of course, Denzel Good comes back from the injury. And of course, you have Colton Miller, who's no question there. But what they've said is we are going to coach these guys up. We are going to get more out of these guys. So the, the dreams of going out and getting big free agents and the dreams of going out and get moving up in the draft or keeping your first-round pick, which of course is now gone, as is the second for Devontae Adams, that's gone. You're not going to get that first or second round Offensive lineman. Now you could get one in the third, and I bet you they do. Although they need it, they they have a needed defensive tackle as well. But now they have options. But they believe that they can get more out of these guys. And and for those of you that are out there that are skeptical, I understand it. But you're not the coach, and I trust these guys because Bing Bing, they got the ring. So so what I see here though is Alex Leatherwood is going to be. The key to the season, because if Alex Leatherwood can play anywhere near where they thought his potential was, and I know it was a different coaching staff and front office who drafted him, but if he can go at all near where he was in college, then this Raiders team instantly improves. They can build depth on the offensive line, and, and, he, and he can go back to tackle perhaps, right? So you look at Leatherwood, but he's got to improve. You look at last year. He led all guards with 40 missed blocks, this is in the NFL, and 26 blown blocks on pass plays. 
That's not good, especially if you're about to sign your franchise quarterback with a new deal. Okay, so that's got to change. He's the only guard in the top 10 in both those categories. Only guard in the NFL, by the way. So I'm just, I'm not criticizing. I'm not getting on down on Leatherwood. I'm just telling you what he's got to overcome. No other Las Vegas Raiders lineman was, was, was within 10 blown blocks in either category of Alex Leatherwood. So that's, that's where he was. That's how much he has got to improve. Okay. So they asked last week, we weren't on the show, obviously last week we were best of, but last week at the NFL owners meeting, they asked coach Josh McDaniels about Alex Leatherwood. And here's what McDaniels had to say. Here's Josh McDaniels on Alex Leatherwood. He's, a, he's an important part of it. Um, had great conversations with Alex so far. Um, you know, he's excited. You know, I mean, played a lot of football as a rookie, and everybody's, well, yeah, he played a lot of football. That counts for something, you know what I mean? And you can say, well, you know, it was it this or that. I know this, his second year is going to feel like his second year, not his rookie year, you know, because he did, he was in there a lot. He played a lot of snaps. He played tackle. He played guard. Uh, and we're going to try to give him an opportunity to earn a role that's his best fit, and it's the best fit for the Raiders. And, look, we know what he was drafted for, uh, and, and we're going to give him an opportunity to do such. Uh, but ultimately, what we want to do at the end of the day is we're going to put the best five guys out there. The best five guys we can put out there to protect the quarterback and run the football and be physical, that's what we're going to try to do. So there you go. There is Josh McDaniels talking about his right guard, right tackle, depending what they do. Uh, so you can see there, he 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 recognizes that Leatherwood has to get better. There's no I mean, the, the numbers don't lie, folks. But he believes they can get him there. Now, whether or not it happens, that's going to be a time thing. We're going to have to wait and see what happens overall with this offensive line. But I'm telling you, and you could you could disagree with me in the contents. I, there's already great great chat going on right now on, on YouTube on our simulcast, and some of you don't agree. But I'm telling you that they believe that they can upgrade the line from the bodies they have now. They'll add for depth. But this is why I say Alex Leatherwood. If Alex Leatherwood can be 80 percent of what they thought he could be at right tackle, if he stays at right tackle, which we'll see, then or if he moves into guard. If he can be and improve significantly there, and if they believe they can do that, then this team takes on a whole different level, and this team will be successful in 2022. That offensive line is the key. Everything else has come together nicely. This roster has come together nicely. So if that comes together, that's why I say Alex Leatherwood, the Leatherwood effect is the most important thing for this team heading into 2022. So that's my rant. Tell me what you guys think. You can leave the comments there. You can leave the comments uh, in the YouTube channel. You can leave the comments to me on Twitter. At LV Gully is the handle to catch me there. Uh, happy to interact with folks there who are level-headed. Uh, but do that. Also, make sure you subscribe to the show on YouTube. Click subscribe, but also click notifications, the little bell there, so you don't miss it. Also, our podcast, if you want to listen to us on the car, on the way in, you're listening on Apple, uh, Apple Play in your car, whatever it may be, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts uh, and do us a favor. Give us a nice rating there as well. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by my guest, Alan Snell, LVSportsBiz.com. The Raiders franchise value continues to go up. 
they are rolling in some dough. We're going to talk about what difference that makes and how the stadium is going to help the Raiders franchise stay competitive for decades to come. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight, only here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back with Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Now back to Scott and Moe on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back. Friday night, it's Silver and Black tonight. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate you. We appreciate you coming back, talking Raiders football. I am Scott Colbranson here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio, Southern California's only all-Raiders talk show. And the Raiders, guess what, folks? The Raiders continue to gain value when they were in Oakland, it was money. There was an issue. Everyone talked about how poor owner Mark Davis was. Then the Raiders get the deal. They move to Las Vegas. They build the beautiful Allegiant Stadium. They now are in that market for two seasons. Of course, the COVID year, there were no fans in the stands, no revenue either. Last year, the Raiders come storming out, uh, have a great year in their new home. And we want to talk about the business of the Raiders and we'll also talk about the Las Vegas market overall and how that's going with our good friend who joins us now. That is Alan Snell. Alan Snell is the founder and uh, runs LVSportsBiz.com. If you haven't gone there, uh, he is the guy who covers, like no one else, the business of sports in the Las Vegas market. You should check out the website, especially if you're an A's fan and you're wondering, are they going to move? Maybe. Are you interested in F1 now that it's going to Vegas? Go read Alan in his site. It's phenomenal. Alan joins us uh, from Las Vegas as well. Alan, thanks for being with us here on Silver and Black tonight. Scott, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, you and I go way back really to the start of the Raiders in Vegas. So, you know, I enjoy uh, always catching up with you. Uh, things are always kind of cooking on the Raiders front. That's for sure. They, they sure are. And, and you're right. We go back uh, to when we used to have to go to the county commission meetings, right? Or not the county commission, but was the stadium board meetings as they were approving all of that stuff. Alan was there at the beginning. Uh, and like I said, really covered it from a business angle like no one else has done it. So you got to check out the website. Also, the Golden Knights run. 
Uh, and we'll talk about Alan's got a great uh, book you have to read as well that we'll we'll talk to him uh, closer to the end of the interview. But Alan, let's jump in. You know, we we are still a couple months away from the Raiders valuation being updated by Forbes magazine, which every year we get Forbes talk about every franchise, what it's worth, what are the most valuable franchises uh, in the world and in the country. Uh, but the Raiders continue to move up. I'm looking at my numbers here. They went uh, from 2016 when they were worth $2.1 billion to now estimated at about $3.5 billion. That's about 16th in the NFL. To give perspective, the world champion Rams are fourth. The Chargers, the closest relative to the Raiders down in Southern California, they're ranked 23rd. Uh, the, the Raiders and Las Vegas, we knew the deal for the stadium, and, of course, the headquarters out in Henderson was a great one for them. But, Alan, this, this rise uh, by the, the Raiders franchise in its net worth gives them more money, gives Mark Davis the ability to do more. Talk about where this team is from a revenue standpoint, where it is from a market standpoint in its continued growth. Well, the key is the stadium. It's, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned we first met covering the stadium board, and the stadium is the great driver uh, as you know, they generated $550 million worth of personal seat license revenue at the time. That was an NFL record. Also, we did a story that is on um, lvsportsbiz.com on the right uh, side of the site about how much the average Raiders ticket is. And mm. I lifted that story back up today. I w- wanted to take a look for this uh, for since I knew I was going to be talking with you, Scott. And the average Raiders ticket at the Allegiant Stadium is $153 and change. Wow. You multiply that by 60000 and you deal, you're talking about $9 million mm. in ticket revenue every game times eight home games. You're talking about $70 million right there per year. And also another interesting story a couple of years that we wrote on LV Sports Biz, if you recall, so I remember we were talking about it, was the incredible level of corporate partnerships and sponsorships that the Raiders generated. And, you know, they uh, hooked in a lot of different companies, local, uh, you know, local um, casinos, obviously. And we learned that each founding sponsorship had a value of $30 million. You multiply that by 12, you know, (laughs) partners, you have another 300, $350 million. So, you know, to your point about the ranking of the Raiders on the Forbes value list, it, I expect them to even inch higher as kind of the years go on, driven by the fact that Allegiant Stadium is a huge moneymaker. Something to consider is that even this weekend, there's like a big show. I think mm-hmm. Metallica and Billy Joel was there. This stadium has become also a huge live music performance venue and what's interesting you mentioned good old the chargers and the rams they play at sofi a lot of the uh a lot of the producers and and the promoters the music promoters like live nation when they have a group on the road sofi stadium allegiant stadium here in las vegas are always paired up and they're always on the circuit they're always going to be on the tour so that's good news, obviously, uh, for the Raiders who control the revenue streams at the stadium. And also, as you know, Scott, we, you know, we talked about this from the get-go of stadium board meetings. The tourists come to events at the stadium, which is good because they're paying a tax uh, for every room night. That yeah. money's being collected, and that's paying off the debt 
uh, for the public's contribution to building the stadium. Well, and Alan, I think that was the thing. And, and of course, I was in favor of the stadium. I saw it as as a Las Vegas resident. I saw it as a way to to bring more business into the area because obviously Las Vegas uh, is not a diverse economy. Uh, it is dependent on tourism and the service industry. And so this gave us, to your point about these concerts you're talking about and other shows that are coming in there and are going to be there, including the Pac-12 championship game, which we saw this past uh, football season in college football of course you had the pro bowl in las vegas you're going to have the super bowl uh in two years in las vegas some of the misconceptions alan now that you've been covering sports and business in this market i constantly have to argue with people and tell them that casinos aren't buying all the tickets uh and it's not just the casinos because you talked about those founding partners you're talking about ford you're talking about some of these big brands like cox cable all of these, these telecommunications basically all of these big brands are in there. When the when the Raiders were approved to move to Las Vegas, one of the big criticisms was that it was a smaller market. Of course, the Golden Knights, which you have covered since the very beginning, have had an amazing rise there as well and done very well uh, from a business standpoint. Talk about the misconceptions with the Las Vegas market. What's a little bit true? What's not true? And why has it been so successful so far with their professional sports teams? Allegiant Stadium is a really fascinating venue, and it's as much a tourism attraction as it is a local football <laughs> stadium for the locals. We saw it, obviously, when the Eagles came to town, and and I was going to say the Redskins, the new Washington, you know, the Washington football team, the Commanders, and even the Cincinnati Bengals brought a, a, a pretty good group of fans along with the AFC division rivals like Denver and Kansas City, I'd say 40 to 50% of the fans in some cases were, were tourists. And this is a really important point, Scott. This stadium grew out of the Tourism Infrastructure Committee. I, I'm sorry for you know mentioning these like ridiculous Oh, but it's true, terms That's where it got paid for. Stuff, but technically speaking, you know, former governor Brian Sandoval created the, you know, Southern Nevada, Las Vegas Tourism Infrastructure Committee. It sounds like a crazy name, but it it's actually accurate if you stop to think about it. It mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. a tourism infrastructure facility. And, you know, you had mentioned um, some of the college football games. I expect even more. I expect this to be kind of the West Coast independent football game kind of site right. you know, in some ways in some ways how like uh jerry world down in dallas kind of hosts like you know these kind of um cross um region kind of independent football games before the conference games begin yeah um i think you're going to see that i think i believe um there's some some i think notre dame is playing a very big game at the stadium uh yeah they're playing byu BYU. exactly right and also keep in mind, you even had the WWE in here uh, mm -hmm. over the summer, and they're coming back to Allegiant Stadium as well. Um, so, well, and Alan, it's, it's, you, it's, 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 it's really it's a tourism industry uh, facility for sure. Right, but to, I, I think to your point too about 
kind of being a neutral site, right? So so if, if two big teams are going to come and they don't want to have a home, quote-unquote, home court advantage for one team or the other um, in football or basketball. And, in fact, look with basketball for years. Now, Las Vegas is finally going to get an NCAA regional, which it's never had in, in, until the gaming. Or even a uh, Final Four down the road, too. It, exactly, Final Four with Allegiant Stadium. But you look at the, the, the history of college basketball, and I think this is where it hits right on your point, which is – you look at the Pac-12 tournament, the West Coast Conference tournament, the Big West tournament, the Mountain West tournament, four of them all in Las Vegas. And I think you're right. I think you're going to see that with football. You already have the Las Vegas Bowl, which has been around and is now a lot better, obviously. I think you'll see one of the national championship-type games come there. I think you'll see, to your point, a preseason big SEC matchup game there because it's a great place to travel, clearly. Uh, and, and you now have the facilities. You have all of the hotel rooms and the amenities that people want to go travel to and that the schools want to do. And from a TV perspective, you're close to the West Coast, so all those trucks that they got to move around inside network television, they come right from Los Angeles. It's a quick ro- uh, drive right up I-15. Absolutely. So you go, you, you're going to see the brand names of college football, the USC's, the LSU's, the Notre Dame's. They're going to be involved, like you said, uh, coming to Las Vegas to play these neutral site, huge, huge TV games huge TV revenue games, you know, obviously the, um, the, the networks will be able to command huge uh, advertising dollars for those games. Las Vegas has really maneuvered itself to be a neutral site hub for the West Coast. And you had mentioned some of the college basketball tournaments. It's kind of perfect for that because mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of laugh because geographically, I love living in Las Vegas because uh, I come. I live here just because, just for the same reasons the conference c- come here. It's a geographic hub for yeah. the western region of our of our country. Yeah. You know, I go out to Grand Canyon or Zion or Death Valley, and you know, uh, Las Vegas is in a really good geographic location, and that works well when it translates into sports neutral sites too. That's right. It's it's not a gross desert. Uh, for those of you who were paying attention to the news this week out of Oakland. Exactly. Um, but, Alan, you know, you, you look at the Raiders and where they're at now. So, clearly, to your point, the stadium is what's generating this revenue. You look at merchandise. The Raiders have always been a team that sold a lot of merchandise. Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr last year in the top 50 with merchandise sales. Um, but you look at this team now. To me, in covering the Raiders before they moved to Las Vegas, got approval, and then once they got there, you know, it was still all of the things we, t- you and I talked about many times. The Golden Knights were born in Las Vegas. They were a they were a franchise that started there. They were an expansion franchise. The Raiders came, um, and so the the way that the the community has adopted it now after two years, we saw last year. You talked about all the tours. Raider fans hated the fact that the stands were 40 percent full of visiting fans. They wanted to be all silver and black. As the season went on, it appeared that that actually started to right. to, to to happen. And we 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 saw that in the final game against the Chargers. Yes. Yeah, no doubt about it. But when you look at the Raiders now and the footprint they've had there, and of course, making the playoffs helps. Everybody in Vegas, Vegas always loves a winner. Uh, but when you look at it now, Allen versus two years ago, and of course you had COVID in the middle, which is such a weird wild card. Um, how is it now? Do you feel uh, Las Vegas, as far as being a Raiders town, do you see it catching on more? Do you see people getting more excited, especially with all the moves they've made this offseason? You know, it's a slow process, Scott. I mean, organically, 
it's just going to take time. You know, it's, <laughs> I got to mm-hmm. laugh. It's almost like a relationship with someone where <laughs> you just can't force it. Sometimes you have to just let it organically just unfold. Um, I think owner Mark Davis has pushed the right buttons. I took some notes because um, I wanted to mention that Davis also revamped and in, a, in effect relaunched his business staff. So mm. they're also taking their time to kind of come together and acclimate. They have a new chief financial officer, Michael Crome. They have a new general counsel, uh, Kevin Manara, and also uh, a person that you know, Scott, Jeremy Aguero from Applied Analysis yes. Yes. is the new, um, he's the uh, chief uh, analysis officer for the uh, Raiders. So, uh, and it's headed by the new president, Dan Ventrelli, who replaced our friend Mark Bedane, who's yes. working as a consultant <laughs> With Tim new- Laiwiki on this proposed 20,000-seat arena just south of the Strip, which is kind of a little offshoot of this whole story. But yeah. my point is that the Raiders' business staff and their executive staff has been uh, rebuilt, relaunched, mm-hmm. almost a little like the Raiders' offensive line in a way there. Yeah, and just like an offensive line, it's going to take a little time yeah. to, to kind of mesh and meld and – you know, um, it's just I, I think the Raiders are sincere and genuine about trying to, you know, plant the roots in the community. But mm-hmm. it, it takes time. It took I mean, the the Golden Knights were an organic team that was born here in Las Vegas. There's a different emotional vibe to uh, and dynamic to that relationship with Las Vegas. The Raiders have this incredible national, if not international brand awareness uh, they're almost like I said. Some of their games are almost like tourist attractions, as much <laughs> as they are a local NFL game for the Las Vegas market. And you know, like you said, it's. I think they're they're making they're they're planting those roots. It's it's just going to take time. It's just going to take time. And the interesting thing, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, Scott, is Mark Davis is also the owner of the local WNBA well, team as well. That, that's the, what I was. The, that's the that's what I was going to bring up. Yeah, the Aces. Yeah. That's what I was going to bring up because Mark Davis, uh, you know, the last uh, valuation that I could see, and of course, it's a private thing, so you don't know for sure. Was Mark Davis was personal wealth was valued at about five hundred million dollars. So he's not one of the billionaire owners in the NFL, which we know. We go to the Jerry Joneses and the Snyders and those guys uh, and the Crafts. And you know that those those guys are in a different league. And so that's always been a point of criticism with Mark Davis. But now with the Raiders, with the stadium, what they've been able to do in Southern Nevada, uh, you're, to your point, the Raiders have revamped their business. But Mark Davis, as a businessman, is invested in Las Vegas, not only with the Raiders in the stadium, but like you said, the Las Vegas Aces of the WNBA. He's building them a beautiful practice facility and offices right next door to the Raiders facility. Talk about that too. And Mark Davis, yeah, I think there's, I think he's been very underrated uh, and now he's starting to make his footprint. And he decided when he went into Vegas, Alan, he was going all in, excuse the pun and expression. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, like you mentioned, Mark Davis is a very different kind of owner than the rest of the big billionaires around the NFL. You know, he's not like an Arthur Blank who made his hundreds of millions of dollars with Home Depot. And then, uh, oh, by the way, owns an NFL team. This is a family-owned operation. So it's a different kind of setup. There's a different kind of culture, as you know, um, within the offices of the Raiders organization. And, uh, 
you know, Mark Davis, I guess if you want to talk business is kind of known as the guy who created, he gets credited for anyway, creating that, I think the ham warmer, um, muff kind of thing. Um, yep. that was like his big product. And like you mentioned, he has purchased the WNBA team from MGM resorts, MGM resorts did, uh, move the team from San Antonio and MGM resorts, you know, deserves some credit for kind of planting the early seeds of the aces in this market. And yeah. now Mark Davis, uh, has, you know, as the owner, I was kind of going through their staff because to your point about Mark Davis kind of evolving as a businessman, he has completely changed the business face of the Las Vegas Aces. He has a very close advisor, Larry Delson, who is quote unquote, the Aces CEO. Uh, Larry Delson is a longtime friend. If you want to go on LB Sports Biz, I did a story about how Larry became friends with Mark Davis. In fact, mm -hmm. from San Diego, a town that you, uh, that you know about pretty well, Scott. <laughs> Colin Snell, Las Vegas Sports Biz, LV Sports Biz on Twitter, lvsportsbiz.com is the website. Alan, as always, my friend, thank you for joining us, and we'll get you on again real soon as we maybe get some developments with some big games there, uh, but also with uh, the A's because we get a lot of Bay Area uh, listeners and fans, so I'm sure they'll want to know. Scott, it's fantastic to catch up. I really appreciate the talk. In fact, when we wrap things up, I'm going to head over to good old uh, Aviators Ballpark in Summerlin here. <laughs> I love it. Alan Snell, lvsportsbiz.com. Make sure you check it out. One of my best friends there in Las Vegas in the media, a guy who, a true, real, hardcore, old-school journalist doing it there in Las Vegas, built it all up by himself so him and I relate to each other really well. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. We appreciate you being with us, Raider Nation. Make sure you tune in next week. We'll get into the draft. Yes, the Raiders don't have first or second round draft picks, but that doesn't mean we're not going to talk about it. So join us, same bat time, same bat channel, 6 p.m., the Mightier 1090 ESPN, Southern California's only all Raiders talk show, Silver and Black tonight. I'm Scott Colbranson, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black tonight, every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio.